Welcome to Raising a Child with Hearing Loss with host Gretchen Fors. Gretchen is a mother of five children, three of whom are hard of hearing. Listen as adults, teens, parents, and providers share their own personal journey with hearing loss. Plus, hear the stories of moms who have walked this journey alongside their child. This podcast is intended for families to share their own personal journeys without judgment. Please respect and honor each family's choices. All information presented is educational and should not be misconstrued as personal medical advice. Hi, Gretchen's here. I'm super excited for you to meet my friend Steve today. I interviewed Steve through an ASL interpreter, and you will hear her voice on the podcast. We also recorded this interview in video with ASL interpreting alongside of it. If you would like the video with ASL interpreting it, please send me a note and I will send it your way. Thanks. Enjoy. Hi, Steve. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. And just for the listeners, I want you to know what a special treat this is. So Steve, would you please just introduce yourself? Of course. And again, Gretchen, thank you for having me here today. It is an honor to be able to come and speak to you all. My name is Steve Snow and currently I am the executive director with the Idaho Council for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. So we are a state agency that focuses on deaf or hard of hearing individuals in any walk of life. We are a cradle to grave organization and I am deaf as well. Yes, thank you. I would like to know as we start, how many people in Idaho, do you know the numbers of people who are deaf or hard of hearing. Can you maybe share with our listeners those statistics? Of course. So the exact number is often shocking to many people as it's so high. We don't have an exact count, but based on different facts that we know, we would estimate that over 230,000 citizens of Idaho are considered deaf or hard of hearing. Most of these individuals, approximately 60%, are late deafened or senior citizens. So that does make up a large group of that populace. But that populace also does include babies, teenagers, and adults, and those who have lost their hearing as a result of war or illness, as well as those who were born deaf or born hard of hearing or with some degree of hearing loss. So it is an incredibly diverse group, but that is the number. And that number is based on two different percentages that have been researched. One is a Gallaudet research showing that 13% of the whole population has some degree of hearing loss within the United States. And then a new research project done by the Johns Hopkins Center in Maryland found that that number was actually higher. It was closer to 20% of the general population has some degree of hearing loss in at least one year. So because we are 
an invisible population, it's hard to see that, even though we know that there are many individuals that have hearing loss, it's hard to see those markers if you're just out in public with a blind or visually impaired individual, you might be able to recognize if they're using a white cane or if someone has a physical disability, it is more visible, but because deafness is that invisible disability, people often assume that they are hearing and it isn't until you begin interacting with one of these individuals that you realize that there is that difference there. And so people think that that number might be high, but there are a significant number of us here in the state of Idaho. Yes, I would agree with that. Since people have seen me as an advocate for people with hearing loss, I can't tell you how many friends have said, oh, yeah, my husband can't hear out of his left ear or my parents got hearing aids. And I think it's um, something that affects most people. If you live long enough, you're going to end up in that late deafness, hard of hearing category. And yet it's something because it is invisible that is definitely not addressed enough. Um, I also noticed now that I have children who are deaf, hard of hearing, that things simple like captioning on TV, that such a simple thing, captioning at movies that would increase the quality of life of so many individuals is often difficult to get and not done really well. Like we'll turn the captions. We, we obviously watch all the TV at our house with captions on. And I actually really enjoy the captions. And sometimes I need the captions. Sometimes I miss something and I'm happy the captions are there. And so I guess that's something I wish too, is that we all know that there's elevators and ho in buildings and that they have um, ramps for people with some physical disabilities, but it's really hard for people to understand that some of these super easy um, things that can add to access would, would just be super easy to do, but it somehow seems to have a lot of pushback from the community. Like how hard is it to put captions on the TV and make them quality? And, and why is captioning a movie seem so difficult when it would, it, you know, helps almost maybe 20% of the population. So that's definitely something that I've learned that there are more people who can benefit for some of these things. So Okay, so the state of Idaho has a lot of people. What do what does the role? What, oh, sorry, let's start again. What is the role for the Council for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing in Idaho? What are the, some of the services you provide? And then Leah, could you move over so that the sun is not in, on the side of your face? So really, we do everything, everything here, um, from work to education, to supporting individuals, to supporting individuals within their healthcare, within their enjoyment activities or leisure activities, ensuring that deaf individuals have access to all of these areas and access to the programs that are offered to the hearing populace as well. And how we do that can differ depending on who we're working with. We provide trainings um, for providers, for organizations and businesses that might work with deaf individuals. We train them on how they can interact with deaf people with basic, basic awareness of what they can do so that there's not that fear when they first encounter someone and how they can establish that connection. And we also teach them how deaf individuals can be valuable members of our society and our world. Many deaf and hard of hearing individuals 
have great amounts of intelligence and skills and abilities. But those are often left untapped because the organizations don't know how to access that group of individuals. And so we welcome them in to show them how to do that. So we can teach how these, these skills can benefit their individual companies. And we also address common misconceptions about deaf and hard of hearing individuals. It is a fact that we can, we can contribute, we can do these things, and we each have our journeys and our experiences. And so when I go and present, I have to, I have to present all of these experiences and show that how deaf individuals have had to navigate their lives is um, an essential quality in workers. Here at CDH, we also provide consulting services. We will interact with parents. Um, we are often invited into IEP teams and to partner with the school district to ensure that the district is providing the necessary accommodations for that student. And we've encountered that often districts are sometimes resistant. And so we will explain to them what the laws are that are protecting that child or that student. We also work with the legislature and put forward recommendations that will help individuals with hearing loss to have a better quality of life and also monitor any laws that are put forward. So, and when issues arise, often we are contacted and we come up with solutions for those issues or collaborate. Here at CDH, we also have a wonderful lending library. We have books for deaf children, as well as novels that include deaf or hard of hearing characters so that children can read the stories and feel that same connection with, with the characters in that. And that is very an empowering thing to see characters that are like them. We have books and resources for parents on how they can help parent their deaf child and how that might be different. So within our lending library, we have that available at no cost. We mail the books or resources out for free and then um, consumers are only responsible for mailing it back. Okay, I'm a little overwhelmed. That's a lot of things you guys do. I know you're busy, but for sure you're really busy. <laughs> So if you are listening to this and you live in the state of Idaho and you haven't connected and you have a, a child who's deaf or hard of hearing, you haven't connected with the, with the CH um, council for the deaf and hard of hearing, I would highly recommend it because they do offer so many amazing services. I think the first time I called there, I was looking for help with a child's IEP, but Stephen, if people don't live in Idaho, where are, do most states have a similar um, like program or um, is it this unusual to have this in our state? What, what would people in another state maybe be able to do? So roughly 40 states have an organization or a government agency or office that focuses on supports for deaf individuals. How each of those offices function can be structured a little bit differently in how they operate. 
But for the most part, the majority of states have something, even if it's a small office, some of them have much larger offices. For example, in North Carolina, they employ 80 workers in deaf council there. So it is quite large. Utah is another example that has an incredibly tremendous program. They have um, a very large building that has a gymnasium, has a theater program, has a bookstore in their deaf center. And I think there's 40 employees that work at the deaf center in Utah. So some states, it's one individual. Um, so there isn't a lot of diversity. There's only, but there are only a few states that don't have a council for the deaf. One ir ironic thing is that New York, which is a huge state and has a large deaf population, does not actually have a council for the deaf, but we do here in Idaho. I'm glad that someone had the forethought to add one here in the state of Idaho. I know it's been a blessing to our family. Okay, so now if it's okay with you, I'd like to maybe ask some personal questions. I think it would be great for the moms to hear about your experience as uh, growing up as a child and, you know, some of the challenges you've overcome and, and just things you want, something you think that these moms need to hear. Yes, of course. I would be happy to share anything. So as I stated before, I am deaf and I am a fourth generation deaf individual that we know of. I know of four previous generations that had hearing loss. And we suspect that a prior two generations to that also had hearing loss, but there is no documentation of that. So it's, I'm possibly a sixth generation deaf adult. So I do have um, genetics that contribute to my deafness. My oldest brother is also deaf. So we are the two deaf children in our family. And we are the first of those four to six generations that had a profound loss and use American Sign Language as our primary mode of communication. So my father is severely hard of hearing. Um, he utilized hearing aids. And then when my brother was born deaf, it wasn't until then that he started to learn sign. Or let me back up. So with a short story. So my parents are both from Massachusetts mm. and they met in Utah when they were both attending BYU. So they met there and married. And when my oldest brother was born, they were in complete shock when they realized that he was deaf. As many other parents are when they, when they have that experience. At that time in Utah, my father was a master's student at USU, University of Utah, and he was pursuing his degree in social work. So after he graduated, he was told that the best programs for, for deaf individuals was in California at the Johns Tracy Clinic there. So my parents decided to move to California to pursue that. At the same time, my father was working there and was able to get a job. My brother was able to go to that clinic. 
And for after two years of trying, they, my brother was just experiencing behavioral issues. They were having trouble with communication. There were all of these issues that were arising from that. And at that time, they were pursuing an oral or listening and spoken language approach, and they were practicing, they were doing everything that they could, but my brother was just becoming angry. There was issues in just the home life. My mother was struggling with how to communicate with her child, how to make him understand her. And so someone recommended that they try sign language. My parents were very hesitant about that at first. They had many doubts. Everything that they had heard up until that point about deafness was to use a listening and spoken language approach. And everything that they'd heard about sign language was very negative. And so, but everything that they were seeing with my brother was becoming incredibly destructive. And so they decided to put him in a total communication program there in California. And those behavioral problems almost immediately resolved themselves because there was that communication. And so with that, my parents decided to move towards the sign language avenue. And then I will say I have an older sister as well. She passed away before I was born. Um, and they suspect that she was deaf, but she did pass away. And so then when I was born deaf as well, my parents were already already knew what they had like what they were working with. They'd already had their trial and error period with my older brother. And so as a second child who was also deaf, there was almost a relief in the process. Like they already knew we were going to pursue sign language with potentially some, I did try some speech therapy at first. It was not successful for me. My parents are very strongly religious and they did want me and my older brother to be involved within the religious groups of our church. And so they were trying to reconcile how we can have sign language as well as have that access to our church culture. And so that's how we came to, my, my father had family here in Idaho. And so we did, my parents decided that we would move here to Idaho. And really, I grew up in Gooding, Idaho. So when it's such a small town, even by Idaho's standards, um, my parents made that sacrifice for, for me and for my brother to have that access. And that really just touches my heart. My brother and I have had such a good relationship. We have our, our connection with our church as well. And so I grew, got to grow up with that here. So I have, there are five, of, including myself, I have five, there are five of us children in my family. Uh, my oldest brother lives in Florida, and then my older sister is hearing, and then I'm the middle child of those five. And then my younger two siblings are both hearing. So I have a sister and a brother who are younger than me. But all of our communication in my home was through sign language because my parents wanted me and my older brother to have that full access within our home. And it wasn't always perfect. My brother and sister who are hearing would talk sometimes, but you know, just as an older brother, they'd be like, whatever, like, I don't care about this. But my parents did encourage that 
that access to conversation for us so that we would have those relationships. And that was such an important part of my development. And I'm so grateful for my parents for providing that access and for encouraging that within my family. Yeah, you do have phenomenal parents. And and moms who listen to this podcast usually are very phenomenal too, because it takes that strong parent to really advocate for their child. So it's, you know, what a great blessing that they tried for your brother and realized something didn't work. And then they were able to figure out what worked and then give you what they wanted, the community, the church community, and then the family community that you can be part of. And what I also love about that story is that they weren't scared to try something different, right? Like sometimes we pick a path and we go down that path and we feel like we got so tied to that path. We have to stay on it, but like your parents tried and then realized that John Tracy wasn't the right fit and were able to pivot and find something that helped your family, your brother, and then therefore helped you and then, and then move to make sure that you guys had the access to all the communication and community that you needed. And that's a beautiful story. Yes. And I am really, I love my parents for that. And just looking back on it, I, I see the sacrifices that they have made. And I, I'm a dreamer. That's just part of who I am. And that's who they are. And just that trying, just trying new things. So for example, when I was six, I told my dad, I want to try skiing. So my dad looked at me and he was like, okay, let's do it. Let's go. So we went and we went to Soldier Mountain, which is a ski resort near Cary in that area. So that was my first exposure to skiing. And I was like, okay, like that's, I want to try it. And so my dad was like, okay, let's go. And so I learned and then I was like, okay, I want to try this on my own. And my dad was like, all right, here, we're going to rent the skis. We're going to get your boots, all of everything. And he was so supportive of that. My father never told me, no, you're, you're deaf. You're too young. You can't do this. When I said, I want to try this. My father was so supportive of me trying new things and doing new things. And he always believed that I had that ability. It was never a, an issue of, oh, you can't hear. So you can't do something. And that is something that I really value and that I've taught my four children as well. And they are all hearing. But if you have a dream, if you have something that you want to go for, I'm not going to stand in the way in the way of that opportunity. And so I am so grateful for my parents setting forth that standard for me. And really, I was never grew up feeling that I had a disability. I never felt like I had a barrier or that I couldn't do something. Because my parents never created that type of environment in our home. That was never something that was there. There weren't those barriers in my home. And my parents made sure that I felt that those, that it was a barrier-free home, that that was a safe place for me. And so I internalized that and it helped me to build my confidence in myself, my pride in my identity. And of course, in the real world, there are barriers everywhere. I'm not denying that fact. But in the home, developing those character traits, recognizing that I am not limited by one thing, that whatever barriers or hindrances are thrown my way, 
I am going to be able to go forth into the world and try those opportunities. And it's not something that's going to prevent me from, from pursuing those dreams. Yeah, that's a gift they gave you that you had the confidence to keep, to do what you wanted to do. So, okay. How about school? How did you find school to be? I know you moved to Gooding. So you had the opportunity to go to the Idaho school for the deaf and blind, but so maybe share a little bit about that experience. And then I know that you also attended college. So maybe would you please share a little bit about that too? Of course. So I was raised and went to school at Idaho School for the Deaf and Blind or ISDB. And that school does have two separate programs for um, for deaf and blind, it's not mixed. So, but approximately 80% of those students, at least in my time, were in the deaf, in the deaf program, but they were separate classrooms, so that wasn't an issue. Um, in elementary and preschool, so I was there from preschool, kindergarten up through graduation of high school. And really, I I like to say that ISDB was my second home. Honestly, it might have been my first home. That's where my peers were. That's where I got so much of my social interaction. And I do want to give you one quote. It was by Ralph, what was his last name? Ralph Waldo Emerson, yes. He, one of his famous quotes says, I paid a lot of money for my child to go to school, but it's their peers that taught them the most. And it might not be the exact phraseology, but that's the, the general idea of that quote of I was in school and my peers and the students around me, those were my teachers. That's who I interacted with. And I never felt different from them. I was, I was my own person, but it wasn't like I had a label of depth. It was just, this is who I am. This is a person. I had direct communication. I could talk to whoever I wanted to. And so growing up, that was my experience. In middle school, I started participating in sports. And again, it was it was everyone was deaf. It was deaf basketball, deaf track. I was in the student body government. I was a leader in multiple clubs. And I was very involved in my school. And in that, all of the communication that I had was directly with my classmates. And within the classroom, I had deaf teachers. I had teachers that could sign and those became my role models. I saw that they went to college and I and they were also deaf. So I never thought that I couldn't do something because I saw people all around me that, that could and that were like me and that had already done those things. And so I saw that they went to college and I was like, of course, all deaf, all deaf kids are gonna go to college. I assumed that was normal. I never thought otherwise. And so in the classroom, because I had direct communication, I had direct access to all of those things, I was never having to worry about it. So during my freshman year of high school, I had always wanted to try football. So I had to have to say I had always wanted to try and I'd never done it. So for that, so the school for the deaf did not have a football team. So I went to the local school district and they have a rule that said if you wanted to participate in football there you had to take at least one class at the school to be able to participate in extracurricular activities and so I, I took math class there and that was my first time ever working with an interpreter in the classroom 
And that was an interesting experience. I never had felt that I had to rely on an interpreter before because all of my environments had signing in them. And so in that classroom, I that was when I learned that an interpreter has a delay in what they're saying. And that classroom had 30 to 40 students in it. And so anytime I wanted to raise my hand for a question, the interpreter was slightly behind. And so another student has already asked it and it's already been answered. And so that experience was unique for me because that's when I really started to realize that deaf and hard of hearing students who are raised in the mainstream or raised in those systems, honestly, I have to, I have to give so much respect for that because it can be so hard. I got that direct access. I got everything. I got answers to my questions automatically instead of having a delay or having to struggle through trying to understand what the teacher's saying. And though I football was not for me, so I did not continue with that. But I do appreciate that I had that experience to see what a public school environment looked like within, you know, the general culture. So after graduation, I didn't attend college for two years. I attend, I went to my church mission and I was in England. And for that, I did have to learn a different language. I learned British Sign Language while I was there. And for those of you who don't know, there are around or over 200 sign languages worldwide. And so I really felt honored that I got to learn another language and got that experience. When I returned to the States, I went to Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C., and that is the only university in the world that is focused on deaf students. And so I, for my undergraduate, I did communication studies, and then for my master's degree, I have a master's degree in community counseling. After I finished my graduate program, I decided that I wanted to enter a doctoral program at Capella University. And I did start, but at that time, my children were starting to be born. And so just at that time, my PhD was not my priority. That's not where I was in my life. So I started to work at Gallaudet as a full-time professor and academic advisor. And then family and Friends here in Idaho told me about the position at CDHH. Um, and so it was a hard decision. It was, I loved, I loved being at Gallaudet in that environment, but it wasn't exactly family friendly in the middle of the city. And so my wife's parents are also here in Idaho. And so there was a, a large draw. And there was a knowledge that, that, that the position here in Idaho included legislative work, which is a rare opportunity. And so it was really just a difficult decision, but I realized that I grew up in Idaho and Idaho had given me so much that I felt it was my turn to pay that back. And so, I mean, DC is huge. There are so many fish in the sea when it comes to people applying for limited numbers of jobs. And so I did decide to move back to the Boise area, and it, but it was not, not an easy decision. 
I had become accustomed just growing up and through my experiences at Gallaudet that I always had direct communication. It was Gallaudet's like the Mecca of the deaf world. Everyone there is deaf or hard of hearing. All of the professors there, even the president of the university is deaf. And so there's just that ease of communication and that expectation that access is going to be there. Just the same as a hearing person would interact in the hearing world. That's how I felt there. And so when I was removed from that and came here, it was a jarring experience. I'd forgotten a lot of the struggles that that we go through as deaf and hard of hearing individuals. And so in that, I just had to kind of roll up my sleeves and get to work on this to work for and advocate for that access. And I, I have so enjoyed my time here. I have to say that, but that is my life journey so far. Well, we're sure happy you came back to Idaho, although it does sound like quite a sacrifice because I can only imagine how wonderful it is to be able to have that direct communication because I too see that there's still so many barriers in the, you know, in the world when you, so, okay. Well, I just appreciate all your time today, Stephen. Is there anything else that you, that I didn't ask you that you would like to answer, to tell the listeners about? Yes. So just as a parent of a deaf or hard of hearing mm-hmm. child, my one, my one, if I can leave you with one thing, it's, your child is not broken. The world is full of possibilities and opportunities for them. And they have the ability to do anything. Regardless of their hearing loss, in spite of their hearing loss, or even through their hearing loss, it's not the important part of it. The important part of any child is their brain, is their mind. And so if you give them the mindset that they can do anything, they will be able to do that. And yes, provide them all of the tools that you can. Don't feel that you're stuck with one thing. Provide them as many tools, as many opportunities as they can have. Children are each so different. And so with with each child, with your child, find what's best for them. And then just support them along their journey. Any opportunity that comes their way, any opportunity to learn, just give them that. Mm-hmm. And for the deaf and hard of hearing child, they have the ability, they have that, just that unique innate sense that they will figure it out if you give them the right guidance, if you give them support and love, they will be successful. And I know so many, so many deaf and hard of hearing individuals that are successful, that are physicians, that are scientists, that are researchers. And so I think if it's up to us as parents, we just have to make that environment for our children to thrive, give them the best environment possible, and they will achieve everything that they would like to. Well, I love that. And it's true. I think that this hasn't actually been a loss in our family. It's actually been a huge blessing because it's brought people into my life, into my children's life that we would have never otherwise have met and interacted with. And it has been a great joy actually. So thank you so much for your time today, Stephen. I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your heart with our listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you again for having me here today.
Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Hearing Mama's Tribe podcast. I'm so appreciative for those who are willing to share their stories. And I hope as we share and listen to these stories that our hearts can be uplifted and we can find joy in this journey together. I welcome you into our tribe. If you're a parent, a mom, a dad, or a professional who serves these children and would love to share their story, please check out the show notes for how to get in touch. Please like, subscribe, share this with your friends, and leave us a review. That way more people will find this podcast. Thanks for being part of this journey.